I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 31, and I'm going to read a long passage. Genesis chapter 31, beginning in verse 1, uh, all the way to the first verse of chapter 32. That's 56 verses total. And just, just, you know, just appreciate the fact that the, the, the Lord is re- revealing himself to Jacob, to Jacob's family, and through Jacob and Jacob's family to us through the details of their lives so that we would know the same Lord in the details of our lives. So let me read beginning uh, in in verse 1 of chapter 31. Holy Scripture says, Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flocks are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days, and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night, and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob, 
Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galead. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galead and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar 
which I have set between you and me, this heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. This is the word of God that endures forever, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your holy word situated in the context of real life. And Father, I pray that as we come to you this morning in, in all kinds of varied circumstances, trials, difficulties, challenges, that we would learn to trust your faithful and good hand in the midst of it all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's, let's walk through the, the big picture. There's a lot going on here. And then afterward, I, I want to call attention to one big takeaway lesson from this passage. So starting at the, at the beginning, number one, it's time to return home, verses one to three. At the, at the beginning there of chapter 31, we see that Jacob's relationship with his father-in-law and with his brothers-in-law has, has really fallen apart. And it's, it's a sad thing, really, because Laban's household had grown in wealth during the first 14 years that Jacob was serving him, and Laban knew it. But instead of being grateful and generous toward Jacob, he, Laban was selfish and was just trying to protect his own assets. He was trying to maximize his, maximize his own assets and to minimize those of Jacob. And the fact of the matter is, is that what you hoard for yourself will ultimately rot and that's what had happened to Laban these past six years when his selfishness ramped up and his wealth dwindled and Jacob's wealth grew and there was this unresolvable tension now between Jacob and his in-laws. And so it's in that context that the Lord tells Jacob that it's time to go home, time to return to the land of Canaan. Number two... Moving to verses 4 to 16, Jacob prepares his wives to move. Jacob summons his wives and speaks to them regarding the plan to move and explains why the move is necessary. Keep in mind, this is real life. This is not a thought experiment. Rachel and Leah had lived their entire life in Haran with their father Laban and with their brothers. Jacob had lived here the last 20 years. And over the last 13 years, Jacob and Leah and Rachel, they, they had built this family and the grandchildren had grown up on their grandfather Laban's homestead. And now they're called to 
walk away from it all in response to the call of God. In, in Jacob's explanation to his wives in verses 5 to 13, he tells them, one, that their father Laban no longer looks with favor upon them, but that the God of his father Isaac has been with him. Verse 5. Two, that he had served Laban with integrity, yet Laban had dealt dishonestly with him over and over again, but God did not permit Laban to harm him. Verses 6 and 7. Three, that God had outmaneuvered and outwitted Laban's attempt to rob him of fair wages, and that God had taken livestock away from Laban and given them to Jacob, verses 8 and 9, and that God had revealed to him in a dream that God was the key to the successful flock breeding that we had learned about in, chapter, in the previous chapter and is referenced here again in chapter 31. Jacob increased greatly, that phrase that occurs at the end of chapter 30, Jacob increased greatly because God saw to it that he did. Jacob continues speaking to his wives in verses 13 and 14, telling them what the Lord had told him. In verse 13, the Lord hearkens back to his revelation to Jacob at Bethel, saying, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. That takes us back to chapter 28. At Bethel, when the Lord had revealed himself to Jacob and the Lord had promised to be with Jacob wherever Jacob had went. Twenty years on, the Lord had been faithful to his promise, and he would continue to be faithful to his promise. And the, the experience of Jacob at Bethel would also have reminded Jacob of his vow to the Lord, which the Lord mentions here in verse 13, that in view of the Lord's promise to and providential care for Jacob, Jake, Jacob would devote himself to the Lord, and Jacob specifically vowed to give to the Lord a tenth of all that the Lord had given him. And so when you think about that context of chapter 28, we realize here because back in chapter 28, God had told Jacob that he would bring him back to Canaan. And now it's time for Jacob to go back to Canaan. And now the time is fast approaching for Jacob to fulfill his vow. Jacob concludes by telling Rachel and Leah that the Lord was directing him to return to Canaan. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. For their part, Rachel and Leah made it clear that their lot was no longer with their father. They evidently did not need much persuasion. In, in one sense, of course, daughters are truly detached from their father's house when they are attached to a husband in marriage, and that husband in marriage becomes their, their primary relationship, though a father still might decide to leave some inheritance to his married daughters. But it's obvious here in what Rachel and Leah are saying that they're not just describing the matter-of-fact realities of marriage. They are, they are disenchanted with their father. Verse 15, are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. Ouch. Our father has cast us off. 
Our father has devoured our wealth. That's a very unflattering picture that Rachel and Leah paint of their father. And then reflecting the same point that Jacob had made, they recognize God's sovereign hand in providing for their family. In verse 16, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. And finally, they express a willingness to follow Jacob however God is leading Jacob. And that's really, that's really the, the emphasis of verses 1 to 16. God is calling Jacob to return to the land of Canaan, and by way of response, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah are responding faithfully to that direction. The Lord is directing their steps. Number three, verses 17 to 21, Jacob and his family leave town. In these verses, Jacob gathers his family, his wives, his children, his livestock, all his possessions, and he flees. He, 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 he does not uh, pay Laban the courtesy of telling him what he's going to do. He just leaves. Uh, Laban is obviously away from, he's away from the house. He, he's out and about on his, far off on his property, preoccupied with sheep shearing work which gave Rachel the opportunity to steal Laban's household gods or his, his idols, and that will prove to be an important part of the storyline. And off they go, it's a, a, they're in verse 21, Jacob and those with him, they cross the Euphrates soon after their departure, and then they set their face toward the hill country of Gilead, which was a few hundred miles to the south. Number four, Laban chases Jacob, verses 22 to 24. A couple of days had passed by, and on the third day, Laban learned that Jacob had run off. And so Laban gathered his men and eagerly pursued Jacob for several days. Of course, Jacob had a head start on Laban, but Laban would have been able to make up ground because he was not encumbered by extraneous livestock or young children to care for as Jacob was. Once Laban hit the road, he chased Jacob for seven days and closed the distance. Now, Laban was obviously not pleased with Jacob, but God warned Laban in a dream not to interfere with Jacob's life. It says in verse 24, God came to Laban in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. The either good or bad part of this instruction is really interesting. Laban was not only forbidden to curse Jacob, Laban was also forbidden to bless Jacob. God was Jacob's benefactor, period. God was Jacob's protector. Laban was not to attempt any significant interference one way or the other in God's plan for Jacob's life. Having received this instruction from the Lord, Laban now had the difficult task of maintaining a neutral outlook in his dealings with Jacob, which must have been difficult for a man who was deceitful, dishonest, uncharitable, and angry, but God's command put holy fear in Laban's soul. Number five, moving to verses 25 to 35, Laban overtakes Jacob and confronts him. Finally, after a week in hot pursuit, Laban overtook Jacob in the hill country of Gilead, which is on the doorstep of the land of Canaan. 
And then in verses 26 to 30, Laban questions Jacob. In verses 26 to 28, Laban asks Jacob why he had taken his family and fled without saying a proper goodbye to Laban, without having given Laban the opportunity to kiss his daughters and grandchildren, and without having given Laban the opportunity to send them all off with the blessing of music and song. Now, Laban makes it sound like he is magnanimous and generous to Jacob's family, which we know not to be the case. And, it's, and, and Jacob's secretive departure is no wonder to those who've been following the storyline given Laban's deceitful and self-absorbed character. Nevertheless, Laban charges Jacob with foolishness, verse 28, and tells Jacob that he has the power to harm him. But then, of course, he adds that his hands have been tied by God's command. Jacob answers the, the way the text reads, it looks like uh, Jacob, what Jacob's answer in verse 31 it immediately follows this, the, the Laban's second question about the household gods. But actually, Jacob's answer in verse 31 is in response to Laban's first question about why did he leave in secret. And Jacob answers, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. You indulge the affections when relationships are healthy and strong. And when relationships are broken and ill-willed and fearful, you flee. Laban's second line of questioning occurs in verse 30 and circles back to Rachel's theft of, the, of his idols. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Verse 30. Jacob, of course, didn't know that Rachel had stolen her father's gods. And Jacob issued a strong statement in verse 32. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. And so Laban proceeds to search for his gods. But he did not find them in Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, Zilpah's tent, or Bilhah's tent. Zilpah and Bilhah are the two female servants mentioned in verse 32 who were named for us back in back in earlier chapters. And finally, it was time for Laban to search Rachel's tent. As it happened, Rachel hid Laban's idols in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban searched through Rachel's tent, but was unable to find his gods. And then Rachel spoke a preemptive word to keep uh, Laban's idols hidden said, let not my Lord be angry, verse 35, that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. Now, we might assume that Rachel is lying, but that's not necessarily the case. Maybe she really was having her period and was utilizing that fact to her tactical advantage. But the bottom line is that Laban's search for his gods turned up empty. And that leads into number six, verses 36 to 42, where Jacob declares his innocence and glorifies God. After Laban's accusation and search concerning his idols, Jacob was steaming mad. As you can see in verse 36, Jacob became angry and berated Laban. And then Jacob declared his innocence in the present matter in verses 36 and 37, and then in verses 38 to 40, Jacob defends his record of faithful service to Laban for the past 20 years. Laban was not a 
kind, warm-hearted, and generous master. All right? We, we just talked about servants and masters in Sunday school class. Laban was not a warm-hearted master. He, he was an exacting, calculating, selfish master to Jacob. Nevertheless, Jacob had worked with integrity and grace and selflessness, and, and Laban's flock had prospered under Jacob's wise management. And all of that is consistent with what we learned earlier in chapter, in chapter 30, verse 30, that Laban's flock had increased abundantly under the Lord's blessing through Jacob's management of the flock. Jacob had been a faithful and industrious servant. Finally, Jacob charges Laban with wrongdoing and glorifies God for taking care of him in spite of Laban's mistreatment. Look at verses 41 and 42. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Yes, the Lord had rebuked and silenced Laban the previous night, and now Jacob was rebuking Laban. Laban is such a sad figure. He had tasted the Lord's extraordinary blessing through Jacob, and yet Laban, Laban continued down the path of deception and selfish ambition. Small-hearted Laban, although Jacob was the son of his sister, although Jacob was the husband of his daughters, although Jacob was the father of his grandchildren, small-hearted Laban, by his actions over the course of several years, showed that he would have sent Jacob away empty-handed. And that is a damning indictment of Laban's wicked character. And if you're anything like Laban, you're in real trouble. Always calculating to get the best return for you. Not trusting the Lord. Unable to be generous with others. But God did what Laban failed to do. God saw Jacob's affliction God saw, uh, God saw Jacob's honorable service, and God put abundance into Jacob's lap. True believers, like Jacob, will always say, if God had not been on my side, things would have gone from bad to worse. But God is on the side of his faithful people, and he watches over us for our good. Now, number seven. Uh, verses 43 to 54, Jacob and Laban made a covenant. Having been rebuked by the Lord and by Jacob, and having been forbidden to say anything good or bad to Jacob, Laban's options are limited. Laban claims to own everything that is Jacob's in verse 43. He claims to own his daughters, his grandchildren, the flocks, everything in sight, although the claim itself is not entirely accurate and honest. Laban doesn't actually own everything in that scene. Nevertheless, the larger point is that Laban recognizes that there's nothing he can do to press his claim. He's, he's, he's been rendered powerless. 
God had settled the matter in Jacob's favor, and there was nothing that Laban could do about it. And Laban then wonders out loud, but what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Verse 43. Well, you can, you can relinquish your claim upon them, Laban. Any case, uh, Laban proposes to Jacob that the two of them make a covenant, basically a, a non-aggression pact. Uh, come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me, verse 44. A covenant, of course, requires ceremony, sacrifice, commemoration, sacred vows, shared meals. And so Jacob sets up a stone as a pillar, verse 45, and then Jacob's men make a heap of stones and they ate there by the heap, verse 46. This heap of stones should have a name, of course. So Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galead. Basically, Jacob and Laban are saying the same thing just in two different languages. Uh, Laban is uh, using an Aramaic term, and Jacob is using a Hebrew term, but both terms mean heap or mound of witness. Laban explains in verse 48, this heap is a witness between you and me today. And then, and then Laban calls it, the name that Jacob had given to it, Galead, and then Laban also named it Mizpah. Mizpah means watchtower. Okay, and then Laban explains, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. That was verses 49 and 50. This may be Laban's finest hour. Little credit to him, but having justly been put between a rock and a hard place, he does the only thing he can do. He relinquishes he relinquishes any claim to watch over and protect his daughters. From this moment on, Rachel and Leah are out of Laban's hands, and Laban knows it. He must entrust the matter to the Lord. The Lord will watch. The Lord will protect. The Lord will judge. The ceremony continues in verses 51 to 53. As Laban continues to explain the meaning of the covenant, he says, See this heap in the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness. And the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, Nahor was Abraham's brother and Laban's grandfather, and the God of their father, that, that's referring to Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, the God of their father judged between us. Now, so this is a, this is a do no harm agreement, <laughs> okay? Uh, and, and part of the background of this statement is that Laban was the one who was attempting to harm Jacob, right? Jacob had said in chapter 31, verse 7, but God did not permit Laban to harm me. And Laban had said in verse 29, it is in my power to harm you. But now, now Laban relinquishes the right to do Jacob any harm. Further, although Jacob has been angry enough to berate Laban, just moments earlier, Jacob must relinquish any and all claims to retaliate against Laban. They must depart from one another in peace, entrusting all of their affairs and unresolved interpersonal issues to the Lord and swearing to do each other no harm. This is not ideal, but sometimes a relationship may be so strained 
that the only way forward is not to untangle the complicated mess, but instead to settle upon a goodwill treaty that from this moment forward we will do each other no harm. And so Jacob made his solemn pledge there in verses 53 and 54. Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Those who make a covenant of peace with one another would do well to eat together as a sign and symbol of their friendship, at least of their laying down arms. In all of this, Especially as it relates to Jacob, we have a helpful practical example of Paul's instruction in Romans chapter 12. Paul gave us this instruction. Repay no one evil for evil. Laban had done evil to Jacob. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Romans 12, verses 17 to 19. When early morning came, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Notice uh, that that was good and right for Laban to do, but notice that Laban did not bless Jacob. Well, he probably didn't want to, but aside from that, he had been forbidden to. He had been forbidden for speaking anything good to Jacob. Finally, number eight, the end of the chapter leading into the beginning of chapter 32, Jacob and, Jacob and Laban go their separate ways. Our passage concludes with Laban returning to his home in Haran and with Jacob continuing his journey to Canaan. Chapter 31 ends, then Laban departed and returned home. And you know what? At this point, Laban exits the narrative. Remember, the focus of the Genesis narrative is on the covenant family. And the only reason Laban has been looped in the narrative in the first place is because he's, he's related to Abraham and related to Isaac and related to Jacob, and they're all extended family. But the focus now is on what the Lord is doing through Jacob. And Jacob is, is, is going back home, and we're not going to receive any more biographical snapshots of Laban's life. He is out of the narrative. As for Jacob, chapter 32 begins, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. The Lord had been with and will continue to be with Jacob wherever he goes. Now, what big lesson shall we take away from this passage? Well, I have one. It's simply this, and then, I'll, and then we'll unpack it. The Lord is the true and living God who actively takes care of his people, whereas false gods are powerless to help their followers. And this is meant to be an encouragement to you to trust the Lord at all times, to wait patiently upon his steadfast love, and to resist the temptation to lean on false gods. There's a profound contrast in our passage between the God of Isaac, the God of Isaac, and the gods of Laban. See, Jacob's father is Isaac, right? And the God of Isaac is referred to multiple times in this passage, right? Verse, verse 5, but the God of my father has been with me. Verse 29, but the God of your father, Laban speaking to Jacob, the God of your father spoke to me last night. Verse 42, if the God of my father had not been on my side, 
And then verse 53, so Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Now what is obvious in chapter 31 is that the God of Isaac is calling all the shots. And he's calling all the shots in Jacob's favor. Laban's gods are not calling the shots. See, in Genesis chapter 31, the English word God is a translation of the Hebrew words El or Elohi or Elohim. As we come to find out, though, there were some rival gods in Laban's house. Two different words are used to describe Laban's gods. The English Standard Version uses the phrase household gods in verses 19 and 35, and that is a translation of the Hebrew word teraphim. Sounds like seraphim, but it's teraphim, and it refers to an idol or a statue of a god. These teraphim are also called gods in verses 30 and 32. When Laban asks, why did you steal my gods in verse 30, the word gods is a translation of the Hebrew word Elohe. Elohe come from the same root as El, Elohi, and Elohim. Jacob had a unique visit to Bethel, the house of El, back in Genesis chapter 28. But Laban's house had been a dwelling place for rival Elohe, for rival gods, for rival objects of worship. And Jacob, Jacob is oriented to the true God, the God of his father Isaac, whereas Laban is in the possession of rival gods, false gods. Now, don't fail to notice what we learn about Laban's gods in, ver- in, in chapter 31. They are capable of being stolen, verse 19. They are capable of being hidden, verse 34. They are capable of being secured in a camel's saddle and sat upon, verse 34, and they're capable of being lost, verses 33 to 35. Laban's gods are silent. They don't reveal themselves. They don't speak. They don't direct. They don't protect. They don't administer justice, and they don't send their angels to meet you. Laban's gods were taken. But the God of Isaac does the taking. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Verse 9. Laban's gods did not have the power to bless and give. The God of Isaac has the power to bless and give. He had given generously to Laban for 14 years on Jacob's account. And in recent years, he had given generously to Jacob. Laban's gods don't have the power to transform anyone's heart into moral excellence. Laban remains just as much a rascal at the end of these 20 years as he was midway through. But Jacob, Jacob is growing in sanctification and holiness and righteousness because the living God is at work in his life. Laban couldn't find his gods. Verse 35, but the God of Isaac found Laban, warned him in a dream, and put Laban in his place. If Laban's gods of wood or stone or metal had eyes, those eyes could not see. But the God of Isaac saw Jacob's affliction and undertook action for Jacob's good. Laban was capable of being separated from his gods, but the God of Isaac was with Jacob wherever Jacob went. Laban's gods ended up in a camel's saddle under Rachel's buttocks. 
But the God of Isaac rides through the heavens to help his people and uphold them with his everlasting arms and overpowers their enemies. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 26 and 27. The God of Isaac is the fear of Isaac. And there's no way around it. This is an intense Hebrew word meaning dread. The God of Isaac is dreadfully and compellingly and powerfully and sovereignly present for the good of those who trust him. And equally, he is dreadfully and compellingly and powerfully and sovereignly present for the overthrow of those who reject him. Be assured that if the fear of Isaac is your God, although you may suffer much, you will ultimately not go away empty-handed. Laban's gods were a non-factor in the covenant between Laban and Jacob. In this critical moment of peacemaking between a dishonest father-in-law and an aggrieved son-in-law, Laban's gods did not serve him at all. But the God of Isaac had the glory and the gravity to compel trust and to require that Laban surrender. Laban's gods won't witness anything or vindicate anyone, but the true God is witness between you and me, verse 50. When Laban departed and returned home, he journeyed home without his gods, and his gods did not send messengers to greet him. But when Jacob went on his way, the true Elohim dispatched his angels to meet Jacob. When the and when the time was right, the true Elohim dispatched his ultimate messenger, his own dear son, to die for the sins of his people. Be assured that Laban's gods were quite unable to lay down their lives for the salvation of their people. Now, all of this leads to a couple of questions. What household gods are you sitting on? Are you? Are you fooling around with False, rival, pseudo-gods. Though they take different forms, idols are as common now as they were in Laban's day. And it's all the standard stuff. Finding comfort and security in money, in possessions, in status, in people, in the past, in your own preferred sacred cows, in your own preferred fleshly crutches, and climbing the ladder and promoting yourself in religious superstitions and rituals and mantras and chasing after something unfamiliar and forbidden. The serpent whispers, you can be your own god and curates for you your very own teraphim and Elohe that promise to make you feel, feel really good about yourself. Something you can touch and see and handle and control. But the fear of Isaac doesn't coddle your emotions. He calls you to grow up and trust him. Will you grow up and trust the Lord? Jacob grew up in Haran. Laban shriveled up. Each man reflected the quality of his God. If you trust the Lord, then you will find your comfort and security in him and in his word, and he will accompany you wherever you go, and he will exercise his sovereign power for your good. But if you trust vain idols, you will only injure yourself, and you will reduce yourself to that which can be stored away in a camel's saddle. All who trust in idols become like the worthless idols that they worship. 
says Psalm 115, verses 4 to 8. But, says Psalm 125, verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us the the courage and strength and wisdom to make war against our idols. Father, I pray that you alone would be enthroned in our hearts and lives and that as we walk under your sovereign hand that we would experience the joy of being carried by you and being built up by you and being transformed by your grace and being led to those places where you want us to go so that we can carry out your will. Father, purify our hearts, purify our worship, purify our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.